Hello and welcome to But Where Are You From, a podcast by BCN, Britain's East and Southeast Asian Network. I am your host, Mayan, and today we'll be talking about being mixed ethnicity. Mixed heritage or mixed ethnicity people are one of the fastest growing demographics in the UK. So I'm joined by two wonderful guests today who both have mixed Southeast Asian heritage, whom I will intro in a sec. Now, the reasons that I wanted to do this pod today were twofold. So firstly, I read a really good book about mixedness recently that I've been recommending to a lot of people. I think I've mentioned it on the pod before. It's called Mixed Other by Natalie Morris. And that provoked quite a lot of thought um, on my side and just thinking about my own identity and thinking about the identities of my friends and having discussions with friends. And secondly, after the podcast episode that we did recently called Be Seen Boys Part One, give it a listen if you haven't already. That was with my, uh, me and my partner, Jamie. It started up quite a big dialogue on BC and social media about mixed relationships with a lot of people talking about their parents' relationships and subsequently their own identities as mixed children. So I decided that it was way too complicated to be relegated to just an Instagram story series. And so here we are. Not that I think we can cover absolutely everything to do with mixedness in one podcast episode, but we will give it a try. So before we get started, quick note on terminology from me. Um, I will tend to use the terms mixed or mixed ethnicity. That's a personal preference um, because I want to acknowledge that for me, um, race is, is more of a construct. It doesn't really help me identify um, with myself personally. So I refer to myself as mixed or mixed British Vietnamese. I'm also very happy to say I'm Vietnamese but other people may prefer to say biracial, mixed race, I'm half this, I'm half that, et cetera, et cetera. I really think that identity is very personal and um, the more comfortable we are with choosing the markers and the words that we use to talk about our own identities, the more comfortable we'll feel talking about them. And that's what's really important. So without further ado, I will go to my two lovely guests. Before we get started on the juicy juicy of today's topic, could you please tell me but where are you from? Should I go first? Hello, hi. <laughs> um, my name is Alicia and I, how I describe myself if people ask that question, it depends on the day, but today I'm gonna say I am a um, Antiguan Thai Londoner. And that's usually the easiest way to to explain. So I'm mainly a photographer and filmmaker. But I also do illustration on the side. Hi, I'm Francesca Humi. I am from Paris, um, uh, but I'm half Filipino, half British. Um, but yeah, same, depending on the context, depending on the situation, um, I don't always give a straightforward answer. Sometimes the answer to the question, where are you from, is why are you asking? <laughs> um, which is always fun to cause some confusion and discomfort. Um, and yeah, I'm the uh, advocacy and campaigns officer at a um, Filipino community charity here in London. Uh, but I also run a um, history TikTok and Instagram account called Fran Explains History. Uh, which is dedicated to making colonial history more accessible and more interesting. That's awesome. I think one of the big um, kind of issues with people not knowing how to unpick colonial influences on the structures and spaces that we move in today is that they, they are inaccessible and feeling like they have to know absolutely everything about history in order to be able to understand things or have an opinion or anything so um i've i've seen friends account and i follow it and it's brilliant so um definitely make sure that you check that out i will um we'll link some stuff in the show notes um to social media and websites or whatever so yeah i think between the three of us we have some quite diverse um yeah like a, a really diverse set of experiences do you mind if i ask do you have that kind of like existential crisis when you have to fill out a form like for like a registration for something or a membership and they're like, oh, pick your ethnicity. And there's just like, I feel like so many forms these days are really badly done. Oh yeah, I do not feel like I'm 
covered or my my um, racial background is covered at all. I'm always other. And it's like, yeah. what the hell does other mean? <laughs> like, I'm just some sort of weird alien thing that doesn't fit into a box. And I suppose that's probably why I'm so anti-boxes anyway yeah. in the way that I view life and the way that I view people and my interaction with people. So yeah, not not down for for filling out those forms. Like the census was not a fun time. Yeah, it's a complicated one. And I had different approaches at different times of my life. Um, previously, I was just filling in. I would put Asian other and then I would write in Filipino because I'm like, there aren't enough Filipinos filling out the census and like <laughs> no one knows that we exist. So I'm like going to single handedly increase like, the Filipino <laughs> population size um, by always putting Filipino. Um, and then I was like, oh, I guess I am mixed mixed Asian and white even though um like when you say Asian in the UK it doesn't really mean um Southeast Asian or East Asian um but yeah and then like in France they don't even you know it's illegal to collect data on ethnicity and race because that would be recognizing race as a social construct and therefore racism so that is France's like nationalistic approach to basically official colorblindness so they don't even ask you. Um, so it's more of a recent thing that I've had to deal with. I feel like France is so, it's so, it's got, it's, it's kind of Republican values so deeply entrenched at a, at a kind of everyday, every person level, like those kind of values of like liberté, égalité, fraternité, that as soon as you remotely mention something that might contradict this like perfect ideology people get really really defensive about it at an institutional level I mean although I have seen it a lot at a social level um French people don't at me um <laughs> yeah I like I filled out a gym membership because like I'm in the UK at the moment and um I my local gym has dropped its joining fee so I thought oh wicked I'll get a month-long gym membership and I was signing up and it was like the list was just ridiculous it was like mixed ethnicity and I was like okay cool mixed ethnicity and then they went through all of the kind of Asian other black other etc etc and then they said any other mixed ethnic identity and I was like oh I took that to mean that mixed ethnicity meant mixed black and white because I think that is a lot of the time the assumption when someone says oh this person's mixed race or, or whatever people will automatically assume that they're mixed black and white um and I was just like are you trying to give people an identity crisis I mean just like the whole thing just needs a massive revamp in my opinion but that is possibly a rant for another day <laughs> um so I will actually ask my first official question <laughs> how do you identify with your mixed heritage like have you always felt comfortable happy with it were there any bumps in the road um Francesca maybe we could start with you sure um yeah it's been a bit of a journey um I grew up in a really white part of Paris where I was like one of the only non-white people in like in my school in my area so I felt like really deeply racialized from a very early age and in France there's first of all in France there's very little concept really of people being mixed race especially white and Asian and also in general a lot of ignorance about different Asian ethnicities that aren't uh, like Japanese or Chinese so people would often just racialize me as Chinese or if they had seen my mum then they thought that I was um, then they would know that I was Filipino or think that she was Chinese but just would never think that like it's possible for people from different races to like be in a relationship and then produce children. Um, so it would be a bit of a shock for people like when they met my dad, they'd be like, oh, like your dad's, your dad's like not, the, you know, and I'm like, yeah, my dad's white. Yeah, that's, that's correct. Or people would, I remember one time, um, someone came up to me, I was out with my dad and she said, oh, and where was she adopted from? Like asking my dad in front of me. And it's like, uh, <laughs> I don't know, it is possible for him to biologically produce me, like shockingly. Um, so yeah, so for a while it was kind of, you know, I would maybe identify as like Asian or I'd say, oh, I'm, I'm Filipino. But I also remember my parents really having to sit me down and have a conversation about what to answer when people ask me what my race was, because 
people would ask me so often that I had to like prepare a statement. So I learned to say, oh, well, I'm actually um, on my dad's side, I'm Italian, Austrian, Hungarian, Jewish, but on my mum's side, I'm Filipino. And it was kind of insane that at seven years old, I was like having to memorize my family tree, <laughs> random people interrogating me. Um, and yeah, but then as I started to get older, I just started to identify more and more with my Filipino side. And so I would often say that, oh yeah, I'm Filipino or I'm half Filipino. And then um, when I, it wasn't until I moved to Canada to do my undergraduate um, degree that I actually realized that you can identify as like mixed race or mixed heritage or mixed ethnicity or like as a halfy. Um, there was a lot of discourse online in like the early 2010s about like being a halfy. Um, so that was actually really liberating because there were enough other Asian people around me to allow for that diversity in identity to exist and for people to actually have a nuanced approach to identity. But it, and it was like the first time that people actually saw me and were like, oh, are you half Filipino? And I'm like, oh, that's crazy. No one has ever accurately guessed my ethnicity before. But then also sometimes people thought I was indigenous, um, like being in Canada until like they heard me speak. Um, so, yeah, so it was, and so I just like was very, you know, into like recognizing the racialized part of my identity. And then, sorry, I'm really rambling here, but I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting to the end soon. No, no, um, no, absolutely not. Uh, and then I moved, I moved to Manila after my undergrad and suddenly it was like, I had so much privilege because I was half white because, you know, to be a mestiza or a mestizo in the Philippines comes with a lot of privilege. And that is an extremely colonial identity. You know, it's like that, um, like quote, like cast of people that were the elite and that, you know, intermingled with the Spanish and then with the Americans. And it has helped forge really damaging um, beauty standards in the Philippines. It's what, you know, the Philippines has one of the highest consumptions of, um uh white skin whitening cream in the world I think probably you should fact check that so it suddenly flipped and suddenly people would either see me as white or would see me as mestiza and would assume a lot of correctly would assume that I had a lot of privilege so yeah it's been um interesting switch and then I came to London and like no one knows who Filipinos are or that Filipino people exist unless they work in a hospital or unless they're wealthy and have a Filipino nanny or cleaner um so yeah so my identity is kind of oscillated all over the place and I've had different yeah and like what you said in the beginning sometimes I identify as Filipino sometimes I identify as half it's kind of depends on the situation yeah I think that you're totally right it does oscillate and I think identity is really fluid and it can be one thing to you one day and one thing to you another day. It's like Alicia said, sometimes the way you answer that question, where are you from, just completely depends on how you're feeling. And I definitely resonated with what you said about feeling your identity differently when you move to a different place. So I moved, I grew up in Southeast London, which is way more diverse than where I lived out my twenties, which was in Edinburgh, which is really white. Um, but then I moved to Senegal in West Africa where ethnicity or race is just something that is just like really spoken about in a very um honest abrupt and quite brusque kind of way like on one of my first days there I was buying bananas and I said to the vegetable uh, the fruit seller I said um oh can I have these ones the the ones that are quite yellow and he went oh like you and I was like what <laughs> and then he, he just used it with a, he was so completely unfazed he just used it as a um like as a as a kind of segue into a conversation about skin color and he was like you know I'm really dark and he held up his arm and showed me he was like I'm really black not like this guy he's really brown and we just you know he was just talking about skin color and then I kind of I was a bit shocked but I just sort of went yeah well you know my skin isn't actually yellow it's actually kind of brown and he was like oh yeah yeah you're right and then you know I was suddenly um in in a place where most of the foreigners who come there are white white Europeans or white North Americans I was suddenly really aware of my difference and at the beginning I would always really react to that question as I'm British really insistent on the fact that I was British and people would be like are you sure and as time went by I became much more comfortable with saying I'm British Vietnamese 
And I didn't feel like I had to say I'm half. I felt totally okay saying I'm Vietnamese because um, it's not really up to, it's, it's not like it's like a, you know, 50-50 split down the middle and this side of me is Vietnamese and this side of me is English and this side of me is Scottish. Cause that's what I used to do in the playground. Like this part of me is this part and this part is this part. But Alicia, I think you probably could, could speak to that experience about experiencing your identity differently, depending on where you are and which kind of spaces oh, yeah. that you're moving through as well, right? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I generally had to chuckle there when you're talking about your playground experience being like, yeah, this part is that part. <laughs> and I kind of still do it now. <laughs> like, my top half is black and then my bottom half is Asian. Let's not, let's not get into that right now. But... <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think uh, identity seen as fluid is super, super important because it really does depend on where you are, who you're talking to, absolutely everything. There's a, there's a myriad of, of um, things that affect how you identify that given moment. And I think that's OK. And it's about the person talking about their identity to determine, not the external party. But for myself, I'd say... I've had I've no I've had quite a positive experience with my identity because yeah Southeast London just a hot pot of hmm, hot pot it just <laughs> a hot pot of uh, of mixed um, I like you know uh, nationalities and growing up I felt like well I still feel like the that uh, my friends that I've kept throughout my childhood up until my adulthood they're from everywhere. Um, and it's been a really beautiful experience, but that's not to say that there hasn't been some ignorant statements. So, um, like, let's start from the early days when mum would take us to school. And so mum's the, the Taiwan and dad's antique in descent. Um, when mum would take us to school, she'd get approached sometimes with people asking how much it would cost her to babysit their kids as well. And it's like, well, no, <laughs> well, these are my children. So cost you something else from someone else. Um, so that was quite interesting to navigate like it didn't really I suppose matter until you get older and you look back and you think oh that's not a cool situation um but yeah like we we grew up with a lot of support from both sides of the family as well so that that helped because I, I know of, of mixed families that maybe one side wasn't accepted for whatever reason but um both were quite openly accepting um, it was when I moved to Thailand, I think, was how I explored identity the most in my life. Um, actually, no, tell a lie. Let's backtrack a little bit. University. Yes, Edinburgh, very white. <laughs> but um, for me, I didn't, I, it didn't play too big a role in my identity exploration um, for whatever reason. Maybe it's because throughout the UK, for lack of a better term, white is normalised. Right. So if, if I'm not being treated ill, then I suppose I didn't notice as much. Um, but it was when I moved to Thailand and was there to explore my Thai side. I would have to say, unlike you, Mayanne, I still haven't found comfort or the ability to say I am Thai. Because in Thailand, if you are mixed race Thai and anything else, you're called a lukung, which literally translates to half child. Um, and it's not, <laughs> it's not based on any malice. And I, and I know that, and I, I tried to be quite defensive because I think we're trying to move in a best direction, but it's just for lack of, of, of any other way of explaining. And because it's a mono-ethnic country, there's, there's kind of just lack of understanding. So the amount of conversations that I've had with taxi drivers, because I can speak Thai and sound Thai enough that they're just shocked. Um, the amount of taxi drivers that are just like, okay, so why are you speaking Thai right now? And I'm like, well, exact same thing. I've got a script on, on the loop. Yeah. Um, my mom's Thai, my dad's British. And they'll be like, what? There's black people in the UK? Yes, yes, there's black people in the UK. <laughs> no, 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 you're, you're African. Okay, all right, cool, cool. I'm glad we're having this conversation. <laughs> the layers, the layers. How much can you explain so, in a two-minute taxi so drive? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I just have to walk away and think, look, they didn't mean ill. And because if, if I walked away, I think with, with 
me viewing that interaction as a painful one there'd be a lot weighing down on my shoulders and there's a lot more work to be done in the world isn't there so those innocent conversations with ignorant taxi drivers um yeah it just made me be aware a bit more of how I am perceived and how I carry myself in the world so um I, I I'm proud to fly fl flags for everywhere that I feel like I represent um and have mostly had a positive experience to kind of like wrap up what I'm trying to say yeah yeah that's amazing I think it's like I find it quite inspiring that you're just you know able to you just choose how you uh deal with something how you move on with something um and I I, I find that really admirable that you're just like nope there is other stuff to, to to be concerned with and to unpick and whatever and um yeah there's loads more to unpack the, I mean you, you know, know with people and I, I don't know how far we're going to dive into it but you know when people are being attacked um or, or made to feel a certain way like they weren't there to make me feel any kind of way it was just there was lack of understanding and I know it, all issues stem from lack of understanding but it's what you do with that lack of understanding so yeah. um yeah it's it's about reading the room I, I say and lack of exposure as well you know the mm. more people meet people with different backgrounds and as we know mixedness is a really fast growing group so there are going to be more and more over as the, you know as the decades go on there are going to be more mixed black thai people um coming into thailand or moving around in thailand so i feel like the more people have that kind of exposure and the more that those conversations are patiently had then the more people that's how change happens right um Absolutely. i also think there is a, a a bit of a um an assumption that mixedness is like a huge existential identity crisis for everybody which mm. it can be and again this is so dependent on your background and sometimes you can feel really conflicted and i know i certainly have but it's also not necessarily the case for everybody and something that came out from the Instagram story series that I was mentioning earlier about mixed relationships a lot of people who had two parents if they, they had um, both parents from a non-white background actually said that they felt pretty comfortable with their identities and I wonder if that's got something to do with both parents being from a minority background so you know when you're from a minority background in the UK I feel like you're more inclined to um like to be aware of you know racial uh, dis differences and and people being treated differently and it's maybe more of a kind of open and celebratory thing but having said that Francesca you also said that your parents sat you down and talked to you about how you would uh, identify uh, and how to respond when people ask you the confusing questions and I think that's really amazing because lots of people don't have that um, lots of people who grew up mixed don't really know how to talk about their identity maybe their parents didn't talk to them and for me personally I feel like um I have a lot of white family who love me to bits but they've not really ever thought about mm. my um Asian-ness and how that it must impact on my experience and I've recently spoken to um, family members who've said it never occurred to me that you might have experienced racism and I feel really shit about it um, and like yeah friends have kind of said in the past things like oh I forget that you're Asian and and sometimes that is that, that has been quite saddening because it's like to forget that I'm Asian it, it ignores a really important part of my life one that's you know created lots of positivity in my life but also one that has created a lot of negativity a lot of ill treatment a lot of racism um so that brings me nicely onto my next question which is how have other people viewed or acted when it comes to your heritage like parents teachers relatives um for example, yeah, I've had people say, oh, I forget that you're Asian. I've been called some not very nice things in the past. I've been called um, half-caste. I've been called a mongrel. Um, but I've also had people be really weirdly fascinated with where I'm from. And like, oh, that's such a nice mix. Or like, oh, yeah. Oh, the, the weird conversations around like, like people you love said, that Alicia, yeah. fascinated with kind of categorizing people oh so they're you're here and here and here and oh wow well, the kids are going to be so great like what oh, you're so, so exotic oh. yeah, yeah. yeah god <laughs> yeah 
They love their human cocktails of like ethnicity. Oh man. (laughs) (laughs) Have power people in your life kind of observed or reacted to your mixed heritage? Um, Is it something that you talk about with friends, family, that kind of thing? Yeah, I think people have, I've never really felt like I've been treated like I'm white. So I feel like actually, um, apart from when I was in the Philippines, um, because which which is also which I, I a lot of people assumed when I was in the Philippines that I was white, which to me was surprising because I don't consider myself white passing at all. But I think it's also kind of that blurring between like white and Western. And if your attitude is kind of Western and so therefore white, then maybe people can perceive you more as white or whatever. But in, in France, in um, Canada and, and here in London, I feel like. Um, it's like glaringly obvious that I'm not white and that and also I'm you know I'm a very active part of the Filipino community here in London and a lot of what I do is like Filipino centric and uh, kind of very focused on anti-racism and migrants rights and stuff so I think it's something that just people can't forget because that's kind of what I live and breathe so um, people my friends are just very aware that it's a very important part of my life I think actually surprisingly people find it really uh, shocking almost when I engage in things that are seen as very white. Like I recently have gotten into like folklore and specifically like British and Irish folklore and like just learning about like fae folk and just things like that. Um, Because I'm, yeah, I'm very into history and I just thought it would be interesting to actually understand like the myths and folklore that have shaped Britain because then I will have a better understanding of like what is going on in Britain today so I've gone into this kind of deep dive and so my friends are like why are you so into like British witchcraft all of a sudden and all of this stuff and I'm like I don't know it's interesting also you know it's kind of part of who I am I am Filipino British like I've kind of neglected that side for a while like (laughs) um so yes, yeah, so it's interesting because people just expect me to only focus on my Filipino identity or because I did a master's in colonial history to like, if I'm going to read something about history to only read about colonial or imperial history. Um, but yeah, but but also I think whilst my race was really obvious, I think growing up, I think the school that I went to and like my classmates and even maybe to a certain extent, like my parents just like weren't equipped to realize like how race was going to impact my upbringing and um, like being in a predominantly white environment and not thinking, you know, that maybe the reason why I was like really anxious when I was six years old and I developed like basically like chronic UTIs from being so stressed because I was being bullied at school. And I would also like, have to throw up like all the time just from being really stressed and like being really worried about doing well at school and like my teacher was terrifying and all this stuff and the fact that like no one at the school was like oh maybe it's like a race thing and maybe she's experiencing some bullying and maybe we should like have a sit down conversation with her parents or with her or with her classmates so that this doesn't go on so it's but then at the same time, I was always referred to as like Les Chinois, like the Chinese girl. So it was like it was simultaneously like over-racializing me, but also not thinking about how this could be impacting my psychology, I guess. So it's, it's a mix. Mm. It's weird. There's such a fine balance, isn't there, between like recognizing somebody's ethnicity and the role that that might have to play, but also not focusing on it solely. Like whenever I tell people that I'm like English, Scottish, Vietnamese, they don't really give a shit about like where in England I'm from or my family is from or ask me if I've ever lived in Scotland. All they want to know is like, oh, do you speak Vietnamese? Like, do you know how to make pho? Um, can, you know, have you ever lived in Vietnam? That kind of stuff. And it's, it's I, I understand it's natural to focus on the, the further away thing, you know, the far, the exotic, because it's interesting. But yeah. Um, what about you, Alicia? Remind me of the question. <laughs> The question is about how other people have kind of interacted with your... Oh, all right, cool, cool. Sorry, <laughs> I was so focused on Francesca's um, talking about getting the UTI at six. Like, I'm so sorry. That sounds horrible. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it comes up in therapy a lot. <laughs> okay. I hope you're all right. Thank um, you. Yeah, no, I... Oh, God, I could actually be here all day 
if we're talking about how other people receive me, honestly. Because, man, right, let's start with friends. Okay, so friends have, looking back, have said some stuff that I've had to, like, you know, point out it wasn't cool, but only later on in life did we realise it. Again, it was all, you know, as we're growing up, we, we recognise what is appropriate, what isn't. And so one of my friends who's still close to me to this day, we were talking and she, he said the same thing as what you received, Mayan, which was, oh, I, f- I forgot that you were black. And it's like, what? <laughs> are you, do, do you have eyes? What's going on? Um, but again, it was because at the time, maybe he experienced, like when he came to my house, he'd be given Thai food and he'd maybe be given like Thai hospitality. I don't know. It was really strange when I think about it. And then similar group of friends would comment on my lack of a behind um my lack of a derriere (laughs) yeah lots of things um and you know I I didn't choose what what body I Mm -hmm. you know um I was fated to have and yeah I've even had people shout from a car where's your ass and I was just innocently walking down the road as a 16 year old girl so there's all that weirdness there's um yeah you wouldn't call that a very positive experience but then at the same time I've had conversations with people where they are super excited by the fact that I'm mixed and I just have to say well especially if I'm not in the mood to talk about it I'm just like well I didn't choose this you know like I I don't really know how you want me to respond but if I'm in a great mood then I'll kind of humor them and it's yeah it's all about when they catch me within this conversation and then more recently the thing that I can definitely draw upon is my experience dating because being back in London after living in the Maldives where I yeah so coming from Maldives living in a place where there was only 400 of my colleagues that was it on my tiny 1.8 kilometer island coming back to London where it's just like oh men hi um (laughs) (laughs) I've had some really uh, interesting uh, conversations I am totally happy to discuss my nationality if the questions have been thought through and they're respectful and they come from a place of mm-hmm. curiosity cool mm-hmm. but if you're going to come through and ask me if my hair is real I'm going to ask you if your beard is real because that is <laughs> <laughs> that's the level of conversation we're going to have today um and, and yeah it's just uh it, it's it's such a mixed bag like I really can't pin down how I'm going to walk into a place and be received um in Thailand if we were if we go back to to my life there because I spent a good um six years there I was forced in a way to connect with my blackness because that's how I'm perceived like I can feel as Thai as I want I can show my Thai ID, I can sing the Thai songs, you know, I can I can be all for it, but I will never be perceived as Thai. And so that's why I, I suppose I still carry the 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 Lukung half Thai, half child card. Um, and going back to what Francesca said within the Philippines about the, the skin whitening observation, Thailand's exactly the same. And I, you know, I don't have white skin and I don't have the card that that kind of gives me a pass of, of privilege but yeah I still had the kind of like western you carry yourself in a, in a western way then they might treat you a different way etc etc so super mixed bag um it's it really just depends again like I don't think we're gonna have any solid answers today <laughs> because it, it's so it's as mixed as, as we are I guess yeah definitely yeah. oh that's so interesting like I'm just as listening to both of you all this stuff is just going through my mind like yeah yeah well that's like you know just like vibing off what you're saying so much and thinking about how I mean I've never lived in Vietnam so I don't have that experience like how you've um, experienced living in in Thailand or in the Philippines but you know Vietnamese people will never see me as Vietnamese 
Um, I can call myself that until I'm blue in the face, but you know, I'm I'm not even I'm not even overseas Vietnamese, which is what they would say to my mum. Um, mm. I'm I'm a person with Vietnamese roots, is literally what you would say um, in Vietnamese. But that's a, that's a that's a tale for another day. Um, I'm really glad that you brought up dating actually, because I feel like um, especially women's bodies, women of colors' bodies are just subjected to so much scrutiny, either. Mm through a kind of romantic, fetishizing, exoticizing lens, or like you mentioned, Francesca, through the lens of body image and standards, which obviously are all kind of part and parcel of the same really damaging structure. Um, yeah, and I, I feel that our bodies are always the, the focus and the center of so much racialized misogyny. There yeah. so many levels to unpack yeah. that we're just so not gonna get into. So many, <laughs> we yeah. don't have time. <laughs> One thing that I was thinking about when you were talking, Alessia, was like, I listened to a podcast a few years ago. Um, it was called Another Round. And I remember they had a segment there where they were talking about like, if um, if white women were described in literature in the same way that, um, that black women and, and I think it was Latina women were, and it would be like, you know, because the, 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 the stereotypes and the language that people use in like, I guess on dating apps, there's a lot of that kind of language, but also in like fiction, erotic fiction and whatever is always about like food, like, you know, her honey colored skin or like yeah. caramel, chocolate. There's all this kind of like, you know, supple, like velvety, like it's just really gross, but it doesn't, it's only ever women of color who are subjected to this kind of language. Oh yeah, you know what? I've never even connected the dots, but now that you've said it, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's weird because I suppose we've also just accepted it. There's so many things that we've been socialized to accept that be yeah. uh, it's gonna take such a long time to yeah. to like deprogram everything. Yeah. So um, for, for now, caramel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know I am here looking like a snack, but don't talk about me like a <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yes, girl. <laughs> It's also, I mean, it's also just deeply historical and is in design was meant to disempower Asian women and non-white women and women who are subjects of colonialism. Because if you are like a European power and you are seeking to control, invade and um, yeah, like colonize land, then if you establish that like doing that through women is the way that you're going to do it or setting like land and women as the same thing that needs to be conquered like you see that a lot in tropes around like for example like in Miss Saigon it's like the Americans are taking control of Vietnam and so of course the American soldier is sleeping with a Vietnamese woman and she is like you know available to him in the same way that her home country is available to him and that you know that musical is based on um Madam Butterfly, which is the same premise, but with um, but set in Japan. So it it's like really, it's like really awful, but like it, it was designed as a mean of as a means of control and by making um specifically like Asian women's bodies like available for white consumption, then it facilitates the control. And so when you hypersexualize Asian women, hyper-exoticize them, make them seem like this ideal sexual partner, then it's also a way of demeaning Asian men as sexual partners so then that furthers the ability for the like colonizer to control because then you know people within the country don't even see each other as viable sexual partners anymore um but yeah but it's insane that it's continued that way and yeah like men have come up and said to me like oh like you know you're so exotic like what's your mix or they'll be like oh you're kind of like are you like Latina Asian? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> no, I'm not. But also like, I'm not gonna, I'm not even gonna, I'm not gonna say no, I'm not Latina because that would be like throwing Latina women under the bus. So I'll just be like, no, it's like none of your business what I am. And can you even just say hello to me first and ask me how I'm doing before you like ask me what my ethnicity is and then maybe we can have a conversation. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, and it's always like in that very, like when people have, shouted stuff to me in the street it tends to be like very sexual it'll be like oh like like 
China doll, like you might like geisha, you know, just stuff like that, which is always referring back to the fact that as an Asian woman, I am created to satisfy the needs of white men. And that is just like the trope in mm-hmm. media and yeah. Also, at the end of Miss Saigon and Madame Butterfly, doesn't does. he go back to his like real wife, like his white wife, and yeah. then she kills herself? Yeah, yeah, and then she kills herself. <laughs> the moral of the story, it's not a good one. Um, yeah, you've blown my mind right now. All this, like, it's so wrapped <laughs> up with military yeah. imperialism yeah. And because, like, particularly with the Vietnam um, parallel, that's so close in modern uh, memory that it's really no surprise that a lot of that has trickled down those stereotypes and that media representation has trickled down into people's everyday consciousness like we've talked about this on the podcast before people started saying me love you long time to me when I was like barely a teenager really really gross and maybe some of them knew the significance behind it maybe some of them didn't um but that starts so so young and I mean we we could go into talking about all the really, really, really harmful impacts that has on mental health, not not least on like physical safety. But I think that might be a conversation for another day, because like you said, Lizzie, we've got so much to get through. I guess that, that actually brings me quite nicely onto the next question, which is like, how do you feel about the way that mixed people are presented in today's society? And I asked that question because I feel like at the moment it's very cool and on trend to be mixed at the moment compared to like 50 years ago when mixed children and their parents were subject to like really obvious abuse and racism. Um, But there are a lot of dangers and pitfalls to this trendiness. And that's talked about quite a lot in this book that I mentioned, Mixed Other by Natalie Morris, um, about how that trendiness is kind of conditional. And when do we stop being trendy? Um, when do we stop being the ideal, um, you know, the ideal casting for United Colors of Benetton ad or whatever? Because um, for me, the most obvious representation of mixedness in the UK is black and white mixed. So when people say like, oh, she's mixed race, they often mean they are implying mixed black, white. And I don't think that there's enough diverse representation of mixedness in the UK, especially with mixed heritage that's not white. Um, but yeah, what do you both think about that? Alicia, I'll go to you first. To put the word trendy next to mixed race, I actually find quite disgusting because none of us have chosen to be born to the families that we are born to. And so it's, yeah, you're right. Like it, it kind of, it, it steps in their dangerous territory because yeah, when does it stop being trendy, right? And who's determining these trends? And yeah, that's probably the most, um worrying area of 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 this issue but um in terms of its its representation so i can refer to thailand first because what's been happening the past few decades i'd say especially in um lacans which is uh thai dramas a lot of the people that are cast are mixed race and it's massively celebrated but when they say mixed race there they're thinking of the thais mixed with whites because then they have the lighter skin, then they they fall into the category of beautiful, and you know, they they have the, the features that that people aspire to have, and and fly to Korea to get plastic surgery to to do so, um, and it's it's pretty sad, and I, I remember writing a, a blog post about this when when I was living there because, um, it it just doesn't actually give Thai women the space to recognise their own beauty. And it misrepresents them completely. Um, so, yeah, that that I would say definitely needs to be worked on in on the Asian side, and then within the British side, I would agree with you, Mayan, in that right now mixed race still remains predominantly black and white. Um, I don't really see families represented in TV shows, in films that are mixed from the various nations. Um, so I, I think there's still a lot of work to do in that area. And hopefully we're moving away from calling it trendy or, yeah. Like, did you ever see anyone on TV growing up who looked like you? Absolutely not. No. Yeah. Like, I think I, the closest, I mean, I mean, I never saw any mixed white, um, white EC people on TV growing up. 
I literally can't think of. The only person I can think of is Mylene Class, who, for those who don't know, and if you don't know, where were you in the 90s? (laughs) He's going to say not born because that's really depressing. Oh, no, wait, maybe they were the early 2000s. Anyway, I digress. Mylene Class is from um, a British pop group and she's probably one of the most like visible um easy people in kind of British popular culture from that time like the early noughties so people would always say oh you like money class um and I would be like yeah okay I'll take that (laughs) (laughs) but it's also that when people who are half white and half Asian get cast especially in the U.S. they get cast as a different race for example Malayne mm. in Lizzie McGuire, she's half Filipino, half white. They made her, uh, I think, Mexican or South, like Latina. Yeah. Same thing for Vanessa Hudgens in a high school musical. Vanessa Hudgens, half white, half Filipino. They made her Latina. And it's like, you could just, or Shay Mitchell on Pretty Little Liars, half white, half Filipino. They made her like really ethnically ambiguous with two very ethnically ambiguous parents. And it's like, you could just have cast parents who look like the parents of the actor so you don't have to make up this ridiculous storyline based on like we're you know being like ethnically ambiguous um so yeah so that's my that's that's my annoyance um actually reminds me of there's a lot of uh, discourse online at the moment um about the serpent the french series on netflix yeah i mean i actually yeah. think that the main actor in it is he's french but his parents are i think both of his parents are from algeria are of algerian descent but he plays a, a role that's i think vietnamese or south Asian. Yeah. oh yeah. yes and it's just like and then and they cast the parents who are i think the parents of vietnamese actors and and then there's a lot of talk about um you know like yellow face and you know they put they put him in certain makeup to make his skin kind of more like ethnically appropriate and uh, it's just like no I mean I know that the the the, the, the situation and the dialogue in France on racism is, is quite different to how it is in the UK um again that's a topic for another day but I'm just like how is it 2021 and this is still happening mm-hmm. I mean for all the talk of uh yeah companies and casting is going to do better and we want to be more diverse and yada 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 it's just i feel like people are just launching themselves in onto the diversity train without actually thinking about the like the ramifications and the consequences and what that says by just kind of like you know creating this pick and mix here and there and i'm not saying that people can't i'm not saying that actors can only play the roles of their ethnicity um Probably like mainly because like there is little enough work for Asian and and like Asian actors as it is. So you know you, I understand you have to take what you can get, and you're always going to get kind of pigeonholed and stereotypes. I'm not saying that you can't play those roles, but I think it just depends on like the care with which the casting director has actually approached the casting and to pay lip service to the. The cultural importance of that role and to make sure if you don't know about it then to make sure that you have consultants and and people mm-hmm. who do know about it and make sure that they're paid for that labor and all of these kinds of things um i can't even remember what we were talking about i just got so rambly <laughs> <laughs> angry about the yellow yeah oh if i can go, go back ahead. to the mixed race and like how it's being seen as trendy today i think for me the biggest frustration that i have is that like that us mixed race children are going to cure racism and that now that we exist like race isn't going to exist anymore and like we're all going to be like this tan like like what you're saying like caramel like group of you know um people where we won't even even be able to tell what their racial identity is so therefore that will be the end of racism completely ignoring the fact that racism is upheld through like structures and institutions and policies and all of this stuff um and yeah and it's just it's really frustrating and people have these post-racial fantasies and you see that like in how people talk about Brazil even though Brazil still remains like deeply divided as a society with racial hierarchies and all of this stuff so and people yeah and we're just seen as like the cure the cure to racism because also it's the implication that like well if two people from different races can love each other and enough to have children then that proves that like racism can be overcome and it, and actually 
there are lots of people who are in mixed race relationships who are actually deeply racist and yeah. that doesn't mean the racism has ended and it doesn't mean that these structures are going to be destroyed just because you know a mixed race marriage has happened look yeah. at the royal family yeah and I think that we tend to forget that like mixed relationships are actively sought out by a lot of white people today in a way that is deeply disturbing and quite creepy like white women for example they re they often fetishize black men so much for a variety of really horrible racist reasons but um for the purpose of this conversation like it's, it's white women wanting mixed mixed heritage, mixed black and white babies um, because they think they're really cute. Or um, yeah, like white men pursuing Asian women for other reasons. And like, it's, you can, you can be deeply racist as you yeah. say, and, and be in a relationship. It also doesn't mean that, I mean, I feel like racism, capital R, like I think that people see that as a, a kind of uh, a label that gets whacked on and stays on or still or you know if you don't have a racist label then you're never racist and it doesn't allow for the nuance that people can have anti-racist values but still say things that are mm. rooted in racism I mm -hmm. certainly sometimes I say things and you know either I have to pull myself up on it or someone else does. And I have to think, oh yeah, actually that is grounded in a racist system or a racist thought structure or yeah. whatever. It's not like, a, it's not just you're racist or you're not. Um, people are so much more multidimensional than that. And I think viewing mixedness as a cure for racism is just so woefully naive that yeah. we have completely overlooked the complexity of human nature to that extent. Fuck, that's oh yeah, really for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we stayed on topic, but one thing that came to mind, Mayanne, as you were talking about like white women um, you know, aspiring to be with with uh black men for the production of a certain type of child or whatever, that reminds me um when I was reading Malcolm X's autobiography recently, that he referred to when he was um he had exposure to brothel experiences and white men would come in and specifically ask to be whipped by black women um, because they're, yeah, it's, it's oh my ridiculous. Like it's, so with, he's writing, when, when was he writing? What, the 60s uh, yeah. or about like the 50s? And it's still kind of happening, but just mm -hmm. has a different form and different label, but it comes from the same place. So there, there's loads and loads of work to do. But I, in a way that naivety can come from a pure place because fundamentally mm. if you see it as right it comes from love and that's what I again focusing on the positive try to focus on in that yes like if you're gonna try and fool yourself that it's it's the way to fix it no we're not going to go down that route but is it pointing us in the right direction yeah like let's let's expand our mind and accept that love is um is the thing that will end up fixing it but it just won't be through mixed race children let's that's not that's not um oh, you're, so, you're so positive and good i know <laughs> it's I really to, i want to end up no i want to end up on uh, at this point because at the moment i'm very much stuck in the oh fucking hell rod's so fucking racist all the time i'm so angry ah! same same i'm like Maybe if I'm a single person looks at me i'm gonna punch them <laughs> i'm gonna one day i'm gonna reach like alicia levels of enlightenment Oh, it's just too tired um, <laughs> for me so but I admire all to... the work that you guys are doing oh thank, thank you. you thank you um we're gonna wrap up uh in a few minutes so I'm gonna um I'm gonna ask while we're like on the on the deep shit I'm gonna ask you um one final question and that is if you could say something to your younger self now with all the knowledges and knowledges all the knowledge and experiences that you have what would it be I'll start with you Francesca oh um no hang on I don't yeah. know <laughs> Alicia do you want to do you want to go my younger self how old is my younger self oh, I don't know um 
because there's different stages i can i can literally go back oh, to each okay, diary okay. let's say like, like let's say like preteen you know oh. like 12 13 like the formative age where you're like you know you'll be fine like it sounds really simple and mundane but stop worrying um love yourself you've got this like I don't know it's all of the cliche things but I I think younger Alicia didn't believe in herself in her abilities in her beauty because you know superficially we're all socialized to, to think about it and I recently read some of my diaries and uh, the 11 year old me started writing things so 10 year old me I've got a 10 year old diary would write things like I learned to skate today or I made a cake with nanny and then 11 year old me started saying things like oh this boy didn't speak to me today what's wrong with me mm-hmm. and then it got progressively worse um and yeah just you you've got this like your self-worth your self-love is more important um your self-education just just believe that you've got this and you have um I think that's that's pretty much it and then I'd give her a hug because she'd probably be crying (laughs) have you ever considered a career in motivational speaking I have I'm not even (laughs) just sitting there looking (laughs) well you should You've got some also you've got so many nice light coming into your window. So yeah. I'm just like sitting here looking at you, just like basking in your positive glory. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, no, genuinely. Watch this space, everyone. Yeah. I'll be the man- manifest out. it right now. <laughs> Manifesting that in five yeah. years' time you'll be a, like a really successful motivational speaker. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Um, okay, I've yeah, I've had a think. Um I mean, everything that Alicia said resonated, but I'd say maybe, you know, th- this will pass, things will pass, the discomfort that you feel will pass, the the anger that you feel at people will pass, but also that anger that you feel is valuable and it's okay to be angry at things when you feel like you're not being treated in the way that you want to be treated or in the way that you, you know, you would, that people don't see you in the way that you wish that you could be seen and that one day you'll have the right vocabulary to talk about it, the right people in your life to support you and the right just frame of mind and the right life experiences that will kind of guide you and show you how to, yeah, how to, how to feel more comfortable and that, yeah. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) genuinely got tears in my eyes that was amazing Francesca thank you you. I um I guess I would I would say that nobody else except you gets to define who you are and gets to define your identity not the languages that you can speak the foods Mm. you eat or know how to cook the, the the amount of time you've spent in this country or that country Um, the way that you look the way you sound there are all these different markers of identity that people use to create us and we're not our identities aren't created by other people unless we let them so that would be that would be what I would say yes I love that well I love us yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh I'm so grateful to you both for coming on the podcast I'm really I'm just I, I I just I knew that it was going to be a great discussion, but I didn't think that it would be this amazing. I honestly, I feel so like warm and fuzzy and I hope that anybody else who's listening to this also feels the same um, as ever. Please let us know if you have any comments or feedback. Um, So quickly as we wrap up, do you have anything to plug any projects or websites, anything like that? Alicia, I'll start with you. Um, you can just find my work on aliciawarner.com or if you want to hit me up on Instagram for my illustrations, it's illustrate. So I-L dot L-I-S-S dot S-T-R-A-T-E. Yes, I can spell. Good stuff. Illustrate. <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes as well. Illustrations um, for, for gifts and just for fun, really. So find me there. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and you can follow me on Twitter um, at Francesca Humi, F-R-A-N-C-E-S-C-A-H-U-M-I, 
or um, you can follow me on Instagram or TikTok for my history project, which is Fran Explains History. Um, yeah, thanks very much. Amazing. It's been thank so you great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This was But Where Are You From, a podcast by Be Seen, Britain's East and Southeast Asian Network. You can find Be Seen on Instagram at besea.n and Twitter at besea underscore n. If you like this podcast, you can also donate to our coffee page. So that's ko-fi.com slash be seen for as little as the price of a coffee. Finally, we are organizing EC Heritage Month in the month of September, which will be a month long collaborative program of events organized by lots of different individuals and organizations um, of EC Heritage or representing EC interests, things like talks, exhibitions, uh, panels, social events, things like that. So um, keep an eye on our website and our social media for updates. We're also planning to have this month recognized as a yearly observance by the British government and institutions like the British Library. So please sign our petition. We'll link in the show notes and keep an eye on our socials for updates. Catch you next time. <laughs>